Hi, welcome to Skip's Corner, where I cover Nashville's baseball history and events and introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans. On June the 15th, 1955, Birmingham trounced Nashville by the score of 11 to 8 in what was supposed to have been the first game of a doubleheader. But a torrent of rain made it impossible to play the second game. However, most of the 3,555 fans at Sulphurdale were able to witness the Nashville debut of former major leaguer Tommy Brown, who had recently been acquired from Los Angeles of the Pacific Coast League. Brown's flight from the West Coast delayed for seven hours due to weather conditions at the Fort Worth Airport. Arriving in Nashville at 6.30 a.m. that morning and with only a few hours of sleep, the six-foot, one-inch, 170-pound third baseman hit two singles, scored twice, was hit by a pitch, and walked once. And in five fielding chances, he was perfect and started three double plays. That's a pretty good debut for someone coming to Nashville to play baseball. This is 1955. And I get asked the question often, do I know how to get in touch with Tommy Brown? Well, I've tried. I've not been successful. Farrell Owens even called him a couple of times. And I know that Mark Gent, who is a huge Brooklyn Dodgers fan, would like to speak to him. I think Mark told me that he is one of, Tommy Buckshot Brown is one of only three remaining Brooklyn Dodgers, whom he has not talked to. I think the others are Roger Craig and Sandy Koufax, and I hope Mark will be able to finish that quest one of these days. Mark's a great fan. He even named his daughter Brooklyn, which I think is terrific. But back to Tommy Buckshot Brown. His success story had begun 10 years earlier, while World War II was going on. And at the age of 16 years and seven months old, on August the 3rd, 1944, He started the first game of a doubleheader for the Brooklyn Dodgers at Ebbets Field against the Chicago Cubs, becoming the youngest position player to appear in a major league game. He was also the second youngest ever behind pitcher Joe Nuxall, who had first appeared in a game earlier in the season. Now, known as Buckshot, a name given to him by Dodgers manager Leo DeRoster because of his erratic throwing, Brown's first hit in the major leagues was a double off Chicago left-hander Bob Chipman and the seventh inning of the Cubs' win, 6-2. But the next season, on August the 20th, 1945, in front of 6,332 paid fans and 1,046 members of the armed forces at Ebbets Field, He became the youngest player to hit a home run in the majors when he clubbed one off of Preacher Row in the seventh inning, and it was the Dodgers' lone run as Pittsburgh won 11-1. Five days later, he had his second career homer, facing New York Giants left-hander Adrian Zabala in the seventh inning of the first game of two. Brown popped one over the Ebbetsfield outfield wall, making him the second youngest major league player to have a round tripper. His remarkable story began a few years before when at 15 years old, he attended a Brooklyn tryout camp in his hometown. He was born there on December the 6th, 1927. Impressed with abilities, the Dodgers invited him to spring training in Bear Mountain, New York, where he signed to a free agent contract. 
Settling in at Newport News, that's a Piedmont League team, a Class B team, his teammates included Clem Levine and Duke Snyder, and he played in 91 games, hitting 297. Not wanting to answer the call up to Brooklyn because he felt he was hitting so well in the minors, Brown relented and started at shortstop the day he arrived in Brooklyn against the Chicago Cubs on August the 3rd, 1944, his major league debut. But after hitting into a fielder's choice and pop-up in foul territory in his first two plate appearances, Tommy hit a double for his first major league hit, and it began his career as a capable player even at such a young age. But in seven seasons, he never appeared in more than 57 games for Brooklyn, mostly as a utility player and pinch hitter. Traded to the Philadelphia Phillies on June the 8th, 1951, for outfielder Dick Whitman, but unable to break into the starting lineup, he was purchased by the Chicago Cubs on June the 15th, 1952, a year later, and given a chance to become the Cubs' regular shortstop. When the 1953 season ended, Tommy's major league career ended at the age of 25. However, he was not finished playing pro ball. Before being acquired by Nashville, Brown had batted 263 in 152 games for the Los Angeles Angels in 1954. And with the help of Cincinnati Reds general manager Gabe Brown, was purchased outright by Nashville from the West Coast Club in 1955 after appearing in 24 games. And for the next three years, he was a dependable third baseman for Nashville. During the 1955 season, he hit for a .299 batting average, and his play continued to improve. However, his best minor league season was just around the corner. In 1956, Tommy got at least one hit in the first 12 games to open the season before his streak ended on April the 22nd. A month later, on May the 25th against Birmingham at Sulfordale, he entered the game having reached base either with a walk or a hit in 16 straight appearances. And when he walked four times in his first four times at bat, it extended his streak to 20 games. In the eighth inning, he lofted a soft fly ball that was caught by Barron's left fielder Vic Morosco, and his streak was over. Had he gotten a hit, it would have been his 12th straight and 12 official plate appearances, which would have tied Pete Thomas's Southern Association record. Leading the league in batting by midseason, he was a unanimous selection to the league's all-star team, but he was unable to play due to a shoulder injury sustained in a play in Atlanta just a few weeks before. Now, purchased by the Reds on July the 15th, he was on his way to Cincinnati. But when he was still unable to lift his arm over his head due to the injury, the Reds sent him back to Nashville to finish the season. And on August the 5th, Nashville turned its first triple play of the season with Brown starting things off. In the fourth inning against the Chicks in Memphis with the bases full, he scooped up Jim Landis's low liner and threw to catcher Frank Baldwin for a force out. Baldwin's return throw to Brown forced him out at third, and Brown's toss to second retired a third Chicks runner. Well, at season's end, he had a 316 batting average, had hit 10 home runs, and had 85 RBI in 128 games while playing third base. The Chicago White Sox purchased him in October on a 30-day trial basis, but during the winter, he refused to sign three contract offers, all the same, before relenting and returning a signed contract in March. 
Tommy needed 55 days of major league service to become a 10-year veteran, which would have only increased his pension by $10 a month. But he was eager to play and reported to spring training. The White Sox had a deadline of April the 15th to decide whether he would remain on the major league roster or Chicago would owe Nashville $12,500. Well, he was returned to Nashville on April the 13th, and Nashville, Tennessee, and sports writer F.M. Williams paid tribute to Tommy's willingness to return to the Vols when he said Tommy did well enough on the field to win himself a job with the Sox, but he really simply didn't want to play for them. He is the one who'd rather be playing for Nashville than for a big league club. Brown had injured the little finger on his right hand during spring training and in August chipped a bone in his index finger and his performance was well below the previous season. In June, his average was an anemic 201 and he was named to the midseason Southern Association All-Star Game, mostly due to the previous season's output and his recent hot streak of having nine hits and 25 at-bats, but certainly not due to his batting average. Well, Nashville won the honor of hosting the game at Sulphur Dell on July the 17th, and Tommy was the star for the Vols. He had three hits, one a sixth-inning home run with no one on base, and he scored two runs in a losing effort, seven to six. Of course, the fans had to sit through a rain delay of an hour and a half, but most of the 7,542 in attendance for the game were around to see Tommy get his third hit with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. After an error and a walk, he was stalled at third when the game ended on a flyout. But he was selected outstanding player of the game. And at season's end, he had a 256 batting average in 139 games as the regular third baseman. And in 1958, he returned to Nashville and led the club in hitting during spring training with a 348 average. And according to sports writer Raymond Johnson, Tommy was in better shape than ever when he wrote, he gives the appearance of a lean and hungry rookie, and he is expecting to have one of his better years. On May the 28th, after a game in Little Rock, it was announced Tommy had been traded to Chattanooga for shortstop Lyle Luttrell, which was a surprise to everybody. Not to Tommy, but to everybody else. After 39 games, his batting average matched the one he had the previous season, and the ball club needed a change. Manager Dick Sisler told F.M. Williams that Tommy took the news of his trade philosophically. He said it was a part of baseball and that he wasn't too surprised, Sisler said. He also said he had known changes would have to be made if the ball club didn't snap out of its slump. In 71 games with the lookouts, Brown split his playing time between shortstop and third base. And in his final season, he split 1959 between Chattanooga and the New Orleans Pelicans before retiring at the age of 31. He kept his residence in Nashville and spent the next 35 years working at the Ford Glass Plant before moving to Florida. Now, his 1956 season in Nashville was a special one, but his claim as the youngest major league player to hit a home run will always be the special accolade he will hang his cap on.